You are listening to Story Bones, your one-stop shop for literary and screenwriting advice, with your hosts, James and Chip. Ah, yes, there they are, the legendary Bourbon Barrel Blues Band with their famous rendition of the Story Bones, the Story Bones theme song. Thank you for tuning in to Story Bones. I'm James Knoll, and I am, among other things, your host. And this is the inaugural episode of Story Bones, season one, episode one. And today's topic is sparks, story sparks, story starters. I, along with my trusty partner, Chip, am going to talk about how we get our ideas for writing fiction and screenplays from dreams and serendipity to practical creative exercises that can help you start your story. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to my very own production house, Silverhammer Studios. That's silverhammer.studio. Silverhammer produces horror, thriller, science fiction, and post-apocalyptic novels, short stories, and audiobooks. And now, with the creation of my new short film, Lilith, which is coming soon, movies. Looking for your next favorite book? Check out what we have to offer at Silverhammer Studios. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-H-A-M-M-E-R dot studio. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Story Bones podcast, a veritable quickie mart of literary advice brought to you by Silverhammer Studios. Today's topic starting the story story sparks as 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 you said before story sparks well story not sparks. everyone not everyone believes in sparks you know communion with the muse i um i did have to take a minute because i i lied to you about taking a walk i was actually napping <laughs> <laughs> so it's not acceptable if it's an inert activity exactly so I was a little fuzzy when I woke up and, and, I, and I looked at it. I was like, Spark, the fuck is he? Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I thought this is a really weird time to take a walk, like right before you record. I would think you'd be in there plugging in your cables and testing your feedback loops and all that. Now, everything's already set up in here and everybody makes fun of me for taking naps. So I, I don't tell anybody that I take naps. Well, we've, we've been over that. You know my feelings. Yes, I do. I do. Thank you. Thank you for your support with my, my, my need for at least an hour at some point in the afternoon. Oh. <laughs> at least. A whole hour. <laughs> yeah, sometimes an hour and a half. Oh, boy. That's, that's it a lot. It feels awesome. It is the best thing in the world. There have been times where especially when school was normal. It wasn't in the, in the pandemic where I would come home and say out loud as I am approaching the bed, this is my favorite part of the day. And then just you know, lie down. And usually I have a book that I'm reading, but I'm out within five minutes. Uh, other times I'll scroll through, you know, some, you know, some news articles or something like that. But do you remember the, that scene in almost famous where whatever the kid's name no. is? No, you never watched that. I did, but years ago, I don't remember anything. There is a scene towards the end of the movie where he finally gets home and he, he goes into his room and he sees his bed. He goes, oh, he goes and just lies down on it. That's me every day, every single day without having to go on tour with a rock and roll band. So you just, you just say that to, to the room? 
No one's yeah. there. You just oh yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite well, part of the day. Huh? Yeah. Well, that could be just you know that sometimes those things are important to signal to your brain that it's time to sleep. Just like some people have creative rituals that tell their brain it's time to write. So <laughs> nice segue. That was that was excellent transition. Thanks. You're welcome. All right. Story sparks. You know, I never really thought of it as story sparks, to be honest. Not story sparks, but like whatever propels you into an idea. Like it's not a matter of waiting for the spark to happen to me, but it's like if you're a storyteller, I have sparks all the time. I have a little idea that I get when I'm on a walk or in the shower and I jot them down and I have a whole file full of these things. And those are often what one of them will stick with me, you know, and it'll just like, mm, I can't get that out of my head. I got to go. I'm going to explore that. That's really interesting. I, I, that happens to me with songwriting. I'll, I've, I've written songs in my sleep before. I've woken up with an idea from a dream. Sometimes it's already been done. It's just some snippet or progression that I heard before I was going to bed or that popped up in a dream and I'll wake up and go over to my, I, I use my the voice memo and, and whistle it out or hum it out. I bet, I bet Angie loves that. You waking up at three in the morning. Yeah, no, I use, I, I go, I go away. I go to, to other rooms, but it also happens during the day too, where that happens. But you know, with storytelling, like actual physically, actually physically writing something down, I don't use that. That's never happened to me. I, it, 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 unless I'm in the middle of a short story or a novel. And then mm -hmm. I have to tell myself to think about it. It will never hit me out of the blue anywhere. It, it, mm -hmm. it has to be something where I'm, I'm consciously trying to generate those thoughts. And it's only because I'm already in the middle of it. Yeah. I, I, for, I feel like the harder, and this comes back to your nap thing, the harder I try, if I'm stuck on a narrative point or whatever, if I'm already in the midst, the less likely it is to come. But if I take a break and... Honestly, middle of the day, if I'm working on something and I think about it and then take a nap, I'll often wake up with some kind of insight or solution to whatever yeah. problem. So, you know, it's all proof positive that there is some, that, that creativity, I believe, has to do in part with some sort of communing with the subconscious, which is where it all happens. In a way. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're talking about. And I don't like to go mystical with this. And I think it's probably my dad's fault. He's a very practical guy. You know, he's a football coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and so he, he instilled that ah, that's a bunch of bullshit, but that's coming from somebody who said, I've woken up with songs from dreams. I, I used to call them sky <laughs> songs, you know, they, they, they fall right into your lap out of the sky. But I will say there was, when I was writing what ended up being that novel that you edited for me this summer, the first version of that, when I was in the middle of writing that at over five years ago, it was probably six years ago. During the summer, I would go sit out on my back porch and, and write. It's a beautiful summer day. And, and because I write the way that I do with a lot of discovery writing, at least at that point, I would get to points where I was like, mm, I don't know what's going to happen next. Or there was a logical breaking point and I'd, you know, I'd already written a thousand words or 2000 words and I needed a break. I would hit save, back it up, go get a drink of water and walk around my neighborhood and purposefully not think about wherever I was that I was stuck at in that particular part of the narrative to get it off my mind. And I wouldn't wear earbuds or anything. It's, you know, just, I'm just walking. And then at a certain point, usually about a half mile in, I would say, okay, figure it out. I would 
wouldn't say that out loud. I'd, I'd think that. And like you said, boom, within, within a minute or two, I was able to work through that, that break. It's, it's separating your busy conscious brain from the subconscious, the idea space where just things come out of the ether. I mean, songwriters, Mm -hmm. you know, regular writers, creative people of all sorts, you know, have this experience. And so when it comes out of a dream, when it comes like, I have a thing too, where if I'm writing, I will, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what this person is going to do to, to confront this individual. And I'll just write the question in my notebook and I'll keep working on something else. And then, you know, the idea comes, Oh, Mm -hmm. they're going to walk in and they're going to pick up the, uh, the pencil sharpener and throw it across the room, you know? And it's like, whatever, there's a million things, but for some reason that doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem like I'm intellectually unpacking the scene now, but I also hear you about getting, you know, you can take this stuff too far and get precious with it. And people, you know, feel like they have to wait for a sunny day and to light a <laughs> stick of a certain smell of incense and do all these things. Right. And if you have a deadline coming up, sometimes you have to just get your butt in the chair and do the work. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a huge advocate for that. Cause like you could not be feeling it and you could obey that feeling of like, Oh, maybe tomorrow would be a better day. Cause I'm, you know, I'm not feeling communion with my muse when mm-hmm. in fact you sit down and start working. And next thing you know, the ideas show up and you find the flow. One of the, and, and I don't mean to insult anybody by saying this, but that's a very, the, what you were talking about, waiting for the muse, waiting for that moment is a very immature way of looking at any sort of creative process. It's, it's the way I used to feel about practicing the drums. Uh, and then when I got into writing, writing a little bit more to my parents' chagrin, because you know the, the, the inspiration to hit the drums would sometimes strike right when they were getting ready to eat dinner or something. And, but what I really recognized that was that anxiety that people get sometimes prior to doing something creative. Uh, the, it's a natural anxiety to feel, am I going to be able to pull this off? Am I just going to sit there and stare at the blank page? Am I not going to be able to come up with any ideas or practice well or whatever it is? And what stopped me from doing that was a couple of things. One is what you said, I've got to get this done. Some of it was self-discipline, but other, the other part was I had kids and I had to write when I had time. <laughs> and so it's family lore now that my children would look up at me while their soccer games were on. And I set myself apart from all of the other parents on the hill where we were watching them play soccer or on the field. And I'm scribbling away in a notebook uh, and they accuse me of not watching. I was like, that's not true. I could do both. But that was nice assist, honey. Yeah, exactly. But I. Uh, that's the time that I had to write. And so you learn how to turn it on when you need to turn it on. And in terms of naps, and again, nobody really makes fun of me for it. If they do, they're just, they're just joking. My wife- not, not to your face. They call me old man, Noel. But my wife even knows. She's like, you going out for your nap? I'm like, yep. And she knows I'll be out for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. In my defense, first of all, I, because teaching starts so early, I'm up. You really, you really hung up on this. Is it, would your, <laughs> would your father, the football coach have looked diminutive, diminutively upon your, your napping no. ritual? No, no, no. Okay. He was, he was, he was a, a, a fond napper. Uh, okay. So embrace it. Love it. No one's making fun of you, but you, it sounds like. I am only defending myself for the fun of defending myself, but I am up at six o'clock every morning and I go to bed late. I go to bed. I know I go to bed. I should be going to bed at 10, 1030. I, I stave it off. I, 
all those TV suggestions that I'm always sending you is because it's 1130 at night on a Tuesday and I decided to watch one more episode of something. And it's not like I'm always watching quality programming. Sometimes it's just an excuse to have another beer. So, you know, I'm getting like five hours of sleep a night. So much is revealed. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I do, I do. I consume a lot of content and sometimes I excuse it in the way of, of research. Other times it's just because it's, it was the, it was my only time to turn off, you know? And so I'm up at five thirty, six o'clock every day. And then not this year because the pandemic is different, but you know, teaching is exhausting. You get home. And so part of it's that, but back to the main part in terms of inspiration, but there is, there is sleep research on, you know, the, the, how much napping you would need to revive specific parts of the brain. So if you need a quick bump, 10 to 20 minutes, if you need a physical bump, you need like 40 to 45 minutes. But if you want to engage creatively later on in the day, then you need at least an hour to an hour and a half because everything is just refreshed. It's so funny that this, this inclination towards hyper productivity and, you know, this capitalist notion it has this defending something that's absolutely ritualized in social custom in other parts of the country. It's like you would never hear Italians talking about the importance of, you know, the, 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 the late after the mid afternoon disconnect or unplug mm-hmm. or, you know, siesta, whatever it's so, yeah, it is, it is funny, but it's look, I accept yeah. I accept your personal rituals. I employ <laughs> them at times myself. I love a good nap. Yeah. So, so look, I find it interesting that these things do come to you. It's strange to me that, and this is the, this is the football coach son in me, I, I guess that you don't just sit down and say, I got to get a work on this. <laughs> I got to practice this, that it just sort of comes to you and hits you out of, out of the ether. I, it's never really occurred to me that way. Yeah. I don't, well, before I started really logging all of all those ideas, the way they, that come out of nowhere, I first, and I think this is for people getting started, I would say that's like, you know, if you live somewhere where there's hummingbirds and you put up a hummingbird feeder, then you start to see hummingbirds and you're like, holy shit, there's hummingbirds around here. But when you've lived around hummingbirds, you start to hear their song and you start to, you know, they make these little sounds and like, I can go sit outside my place right now and there's hummingbirds everywhere. I can hear them. I don't see them. But when you just start to tune your ear, either intentionally or unintentionally, then you're like, oh yeah, there's hummingbirds. I mean, think about how many birds you hear out there that you don't know what type they are. It's like, oh yeah, there's titmice everywhere or titmouses, whatever they are. Titmice. Yeah. Titmice. So you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating for people to, to be bird watchers. And like, I'm not going to start a story till I go out and see a hummingbird. It's just (laughs) in your daily life, pay attention. These things happen. Something compels. It's like with photographers. And at times when I was doing more creative photography and I would go on long walks with my camera, something would capture my eye and I didn't know why, but it was just like, a water tank or, you know, a nickel mm-hmm. on the dr- sidewalk or something, some mundane everyday thing. But for some reason I was drawn to it, would take a picture of it probably in a way that, you know, in some cases anybody would, or in other cases only I would, you know? And so 
but but long before I started paying attention to these little bursts of, they're not inspiration. It's, you know, whatever it is, was developing the discipline to write every day mm-hmm. and to spend some time, you know, if if that's during, you know, your daughter's soccer game or if you're working a regular nine to five job, getting up a half hour early, I was fortunate when I developed this discipline to not have a lot of other things vying for my time. And I, it just hell or high water. I was going to sit down and either type or write for an hour a day. And so I think for, for young writers, the first thing is to develop some kind of discipline and figure out when you can do it, set a goal and stick to it. And then you have the, the sandbox you know, that discipline is the sandbox and the, these little, little ideas you have are, are the sandbox toys, are your Tonka trucks, you know? And so you have a forum to explore them. So both things are essential. Like you could, you could log every idea that you wake up with or have in the shower or have when you're jogging or driving or sitting in traffic and you get the thousand yard stare and rear end the Volkswagen in front of you. (laughs) But if you don't, have the the place where you're going to go explore them further and figure out why that popped in your head, then they're useless. So, yeah. you know, it's having, it's having that discipline. Now I'll just take one of the films we're shopping right now and we have a director attached and we're working on the talent attachments that the desert States of Ursula story I've told you about. Ooh, very exciting. I was, yeah, it was, it's, it's cool. I was just jogging one day and I passed a mitten sitting on the side of the road, kind of down in, in a, not a ditch, but a swale or something. It was just laying there oddly. And I just had the visceral reaction, like, God, could you imagine, like, first of all, what's one mitten doing there? What's the story behind that mitten laying there in the (laughs) ditch? And, and then I was like, can you imagine how horrific that would be if for some reason you, you know, spotted that there was still a hand in it? You know, and it's just like, it's macabre, but it's just like these things happen and they happen to people, you know, and these weird, not that specifically, but these weird things happen to people. And I sat with that idea. Like I thought, well, wow, that could trigger some sort of murder mystery or, you know, whatever. But I just held on and and that idea just kind of was there and it, it came up and I would think about it and I would get that visceral reaction, but I didn't have the context for a story. And then I took a trip out to the desert out here and I visited some friends out here being in Southern California. I went out to the Joshua tree area and visited some people. And then like the context of this story and how that event could unlock the trauma and, and stuff for an individual who has unhealed wounds of the past, I'd say. It's like, it just, the story, you know, again, like through this experience, it came up. And so again, I just started playing with it and it suddenly, those two things came together. What does it take to, to unearth unresolved trauma that we all have in in a significant way? And then, you know, the mitten just kind of became the catalyst. And so I put those two things together, but yeah, it's funny. My, you know, I, I, I teach high school creative writing and 
they th- those kids are, are fantastic, and I love them. And some of them come in there, and they are primed to go with any prompt or anything, and they they are ready to roll. They know exactly what they want to write and how they want to write, and they, they write it, and they and they they benefit greatly from that class. A lot of them, and I'm not going to place any blame, but the it, it and there's been a lot of of noise about how life and the school systems beats the creativity out of kids, and to some degree, that's true. Can't help if your if your life beats it out of you if you're undergoing trauma or something else. But you know sometimes it's a choice too, and I think I remember specifically making a choice to be creative. I, I thought, it, and maybe it was because of my upbringing. Number one, maybe it was because I grew up watching tons of comedy. I mean, I I, I can still get back into Robin Williams at the Met. I watched that over and over again on a, on on Betamax. Better sound, by the way. <laughs> And uh, and George Carlin and anything I could get my hands on, but those are the two I watched over and over again. And, and maybe it was just a natural setting. Maybe it was my you know high school fuck you. I'm not going to be like everybody else, which everybody gets to at some point in their life. But I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to try my best to be a creative person and to think differently from everybody else. And so that's part of it as well. But when you know back to my students. They do struggle sometimes when I say, okay, we're going to write a story and I show them the structure and I go, it's really up to you to come up with something. And, you know, I have two things that I'll, that I'll tell you about in terms of, of my uh, process. And I learned it from teaching uh, to get them started. But before, before we do there, sometimes it it, it is just a prompt. And I've written off these prompts before, because I like to write with my students if I'm not in the middle of a larger project. Like one of them is, uh, it's, it's a description of an old man sitting in a park in the middle of the night. And you pass him by and he looks up at you and says, I told her not to go in there. And then you're supposed to take the, the story off from there. That's or, awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you know, it's a what if. It's something that I found online somewhere. Another one was, you know, the setting is, you know, it's a small town, big town, whatever town. There's a fair and the protagonist and his crush or her crush or whatever it is, you know, pick your gender, pick your whatever, pick your preference. Get stuck at the top of the of the oh shit. Here we go. 49 years old, I'm doing the word search, carousel. And, and, and they're stuck up there while they're fixing it. And so a lot of students, it's, it's amazing to see sometimes if students mm. choose that one, how many different really cool stories that they get. And yeah. The one that, of mine that was a favorite was it was uh, a boy and a girl and, and, you know, he was crushing on her and he had driven her out there and he, he he's looking over to his left and he can see in the parking lot where he parked his brother's car this like really nice tricked out uh, Honda Civic that his brother like spent uh, a whole bunch of money, like uh, tricking out and there's thieves like taking it apart one by one. And he keeps on looking at that. And then he looks over at the girl and like, as I didn't even know I'd done this until one of my students pointed out and he said, Hey, it's kind of cool the way that as the car gets stripped down, the protagonist loses all of his inhibitions and then finally leans over and kisses the girl. And I went, I didn't know I'd done that. Uh, (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. And so short, I, I still have it. It's somewhere. It's saved on a computer. Yeah. So it, it, all I was thinking in that moment was the thieves had gotten away with all the stuff. They're driving off, and he was like, "Well, there's nothing I can do now." And he looks over to the girl and kisses her. So maybe it was that. That's awesome. So it, it, for me, prompting too. There are no rules, and I can be as stupid and silly and sarcastic and vulgar as I want to be, and that's the whole point of the prompt: is to do something that you wouldn't think anybody would do. That is it. It's like about just throwing your full creative self at it and having fun with it. And it's showing up like a hundred percent, like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to immerse myself completely. And maybe it feels performative because you know, you're going to stand up with the group later and read this, but 
if there wasn't that willingness to show up and not necessarily just show off, then tons of creative work would never get done. I, yeah. So I don't, I don't mean it in the negative connotation, but it's, yeah, it is, it is performative for me if I'm doing it in a group because I get to get up and, and make people laugh. That's my f- single favorite thing to do. I remember telling that yeah. to my friend, Franklin Kyle, once I was starting to get into girls and I had, I had figured out that I had a, a kernel of a sense of humor. This is 15 year old idiot me. And I remember talking to him, he, he and I would go on long walks, not romantic. He was, it was just Franklin and I <laughs> were just beach. really good friends. Yeah, exactly. Just around our neighborhood. And talk about everything. And I remember telling him that once that I, I like, I think the weekend before I was hanging out with, with my friend, my peer group, he was a, a grade above me. So he didn't, he, he didn't hang out in, the, in, the, in those same circles. He was a neighborhood friend. Uh, and I was telling him about, it. I was like, that is the best thing in the world. It's the best feeling is when I get that type of response. And mm-hmm. that's, that's how I feel about that writing and, and the ability to, to, to shock in a good way, shock and surprise to make people smile or go, Ooh, that little twist. Cause there are no rules in it. And I don't have to worry about fashioning some sort of story. That's going to have a satisfying ending and a suspenseful peak, whatever genre you're working in. Yeah. And it's, it's just fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I think thinking about the delight of the people who are going to read or, or experience your story, you know, if it's a comedy or whatever is, is a, is a great part of what, what drives you into it. That I don't do that at all. Like I never really think about that, but like Simona is very, very compelled by that and inspired by that, like how she writes really great comedy. And, you know, so, so really thinking about the experience the person's going to have even reading a script when it's intended to be viewed on, on a screen even knowing how people will have fun with a comedy script is a big part of, of what drives her. And I think that's really cool. Well, when we were talking about when we're in the middle of, of Lilith and I, I know we'll be talking about this later, but that was the reason for having Warner say all those things. And we talked about this. I wanted to have him say as many shocking and, and funny things at the same time. And, and, and you were saying like, Oh yeah, yeah you're always waiting for that guy to, to get back onto the screen. And yeah. so in that process, I was like, it's, it's also, I can see myself saying some of those things either to friends or to students, probably in a, a gentler way to students, unless I know I can, they, they can handle it. Cause some of the, some of my students can handle the really sarcastic humor. You call oh, yeah, some of your absolutely. students fatback? They love it. They think it's funny because <laughs> to them, it's just, it's interaction with a teacher who knows how to, uh, to play essentially is what it is. Going back to something you said, I think is, is also really, really critical and often overlooked and it's the tiniest little most personal thing, which is the decision. And, you know, if you don't decide that one way or the other, by the end of this month, I'm going to have the first draft of a horror short or a short story or anything, it's, you're, it's simply not going to happen. And, you know, I think about, I was sitting in a coffee shop in San Francisco and I was, I was up there for some production gig that wasn't very enthralling for me. And, and I was sitting there, I was a little bit melancholy having my coffee and eggs and uh, toast. Mm. I was going to say, that's the saddest of all breakfasts. Not in a diner. I mean, that's, you know, it's that's even sadder. Was it midnight? No, it was like seven, 7 a.m. You can't have chicken fried steak and gravy every day, James. You know, sometimes <laughs> you got to keep it simple. But I was watching you know, the, one of the art institutes was just down the way. And, you know, I was watching all these people 
getting started with their day. And some people would walk by and they would look just like sleepwalking, miserable and other people. And I'd see these students with those big, you know, illustration portfolios, they keep that giant paper in. And I'd see people walking to the art Institute and people that seemed just happier or like, yeah, I'm going to art school. And like, and I think about <laughs> it and then you see the workaday schlub that's crossing the street that just looks like, you know, fuck my life. And you know, I was like, well, what separates those two people? You know, why is that person? And of course I'm projecting that person's life experience, but right. there are miserable people in the world. And there are people that are doing exactly what their heart song told them to do. And, you know, it just dawned on me that the only decision, the only difference between people doing what they want to do and people who are doing what they don't want to do is that that one group of people decided I'm going to be an artist. They decided mm -hmm. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to make that be a part of my everyday life. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. going to be a right. I'm deciding, you know, and, and it's like part of that is it's so powerful. And if you don't decide you're going to do something, I don't see how it's just, you're just going to luck into being, you know, a working songwriter, unless you decide, you know, I'm going to do it. Cause it's, it's that commitment to yourself that is going to carry you over or at least bring you back to it. It's not like you're going to be, you know, a perfectly motivated and well-disciplined songwriter right out of the gate, but you're going to go through slumps and realize you haven't written a song in three months and you're going to remember, but I, I decided I made that commitment to myself, which means I got to get off my ass and write a song. Looking for your next favorite book? Try The Hive. It was very dramatic, I know. What's it about? Funny you should ask. When an alien hive lands in Spotsylvania County, Virginia, Amanda Jett and her daddy are thrust into a nightmare landscape filled with body snatchers, brain-cracking fungi, crypto monsters, melonhead children, mad scientists, and the tentacle-wielding hive itself. The Jets have their own allies to help them, though, including Dr. Huntington, a brilliant inventor with the tools and technology they need to fight back and the mysterious girl, whose powers may or may not be what they require to defeat the invaders. But the hive is changing the climate to suit its needs, and time is running out. You can buy season one of the hive today for only 99 cents. Just visit silverhammer.studio and click on the fiction tab, or you can pick it up at your favorite online retailer, including Amazon Kindle, Apple Books, Nook, Kobo, Kobo Plus, Scribd, Thalia, Bold.de, Tolino, and Angus and Robertson, as well as online libraries like Overdrive, Biblioteca, Baker and Taylor, Hoopla, and Borrowbox. Do as you're told, not as you will. Pick up the hive today for only 99 cents at silverhammer.studio. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-H-A-M-M-E-R dot studio. Now back to the show. You are absolutely right about the decision. And if we're getting into story sparks again, if, if let's, let's, we can bring it back around to that. It is, it is making this decision to sit down and write. And then in terms of, or, or whatever it is, and play a song, go to the potter's wheel, pick up your brush. My friend Bill Harris says that. And I, I've asked him the same question. What do you do when you are just not feeling the spark to go create? He goes, I walk into my studio. He's, he's an oil painter or he's, he's a painter and he, he uses oils. And he says, I, I pick up my brush and I put my music on. And before he knows it, he gets into it. And I found that to be absolutely true. 
Some people have specific times of the day, like you mentioned earlier. I've got a nine to five. I've got the kids after school, so I'm going to write for a half hour every day. I think it was Maya Angelou that started writing by just trying to write for like a half an hour before she went to bed every night, which would be too hard for me. My brain is not spry enough at that point anymore. And some people have that discipline. I've got, and again, I'm not bragging here, but I'm doing at least three different creative mediums at one time. And I can't do them all at once and, and, and have a job and have a life and be able to sit down and drink a beer and watch a television show every now and then or football. So right now I'm in super productive, creative music mode and I'm doing the sound for Lilith and I've, I've got all the compositions down that done and I'm, and I'm working on the sound. I'll be done with that by the end of the week, but I keep on, it's on my radar. I've got to go back and finish this short story and I'm already $6,000 or $6,000, 6,000 words, 7,000 words into it. And I've got to redo the redos that I lost and then move forward. And, and I'm turning it into a, um, one of the seasons on mad tales. But when I get to that point, the, the idea is, for me, I don't have to have a time of a day or a place where I have to write it, but I have to go sit down and I have to write at least a thousand words. And then I go and, and, right. and write a thousand words. And it is that decision to sit down and do that, that creates the creation, that finishes the creation. It's also, it also takes some of the burden off your, your muscles of self-motivation to have a threshold like that to have the thousand word threshold because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just like if you're jogging, if you're taking up jogging the first few weeks, you're two miles in, you're like, maybe I should stop. This kind of sucks. <laughs> but you're like, no, I've decided that I'm just going to run the three miles three days a week. And the first two miles, your body's screaming at you to stop. This is ridiculous. And then yeah. you get in a groove and the last half mile doesn't hurt as bad or isn't as much of a mental torture, but Having that that mark of 30 minutes or a thousand words or three miles, whatever it is, it just like kind of puts that should I quit part of your brain to rest, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And if you if you go out and you're you're not you haven't worked up your chops and you set an unrealistic goal, twenty five hundred words a day, then it's like you're setting yourself up to just like have a failed endurance test. Just like if you haven't been running and you're like, I'm going to go run 10 miles a day. It's like, you know, be realistic, be modest, give yourself the satisfaction of accomplishing, you know, 250, one one single page a day for a week. And then, you know, up it incrementally. But I think, I think setting that um, benchmark is, is a really good practice. And a thousand words is not very long. Sometimes a thousand words will take me two hours maybe even longer if I'm really stuck and really unmotivated. Sometimes a thousand words takes me 25 minutes and I get 3000 in because I'm on a roll on the days where it's really difficult and I'm tired and I just don't want to do it. And I get 500 in and I'm like, this is a logical stopping point. I'm done. I I need to go work out then. Cool. Cause I know the next, cause I know either the next day or some future day in the process of writing this short story or chapter or whatever it is I'm writing that I will go over the amount that I need to, to write. And it all washes out in the end. It all ends up uh, being the same. Yeah. Again, I'm always fascinated by, all right, first I I used to be fascinated by people who structured all of their stories and would have everything planned out to the letter, including the ending, because I, I found that to be, as a younger writer and as a younger person, way too restrictive. 
Then I was fascinated by people who fly by the seat of their pants constantly. And now I find myself somewhere right in the middle. So, you know, in the world of writing or creativity, you have the planners versus the pantsers. I think we've talked about this. And I, I call myself a planter because yeah. discovery writing doesn't lend credibility or, or, or credence to the, the pleasures of, of form and, and, and structure. And planning doesn't allow for serendipity. And so I, I really do enjoy having, like sitting firmly in the pocket in the middle of those two, because mm-hmm, then you mm-hmm. can, well, first of all, you know, the easy stuff, you got to learn the rules before you break them. Don't just go and try to, you know, I, I did that for years as, as a beginning writer. I would go, I'm going to write a novel. And I would just go set out and, and write something and, and just keep on going until I figured out that it ended. And that the, the first Topher Bill story, the one that I sent you, the, the cover that I just found the other night, that's an example of that. It's, it's, I'm never going to read that again. I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, but it was it's discovery writing all the way through. And there is no really plot form or function. It's just sequence after sequence after sequence. And more often than not, I got frustrated with a short story and I give it up. I have a great beginning and then kind of peter out and have nowhere to go. But in terms of even getting to that point after a while, you just run out of ideas. So before I even learned how to, to structure things or, or, or found that structure that worked for me and, and then realized that somebody else had discovered it long before I did and I was just using it, I, I, I came up with the morphological matrix. I've told you about the morphological matrix before, haven't I? I don't know. It sounds, sounds pedagogical. It, it, it very much is. I think I got it. I don't know if I got it in a creative writing professional training or if it was like a academic writing professional training. But what I realized was that you could, I could use this for my creative writing classes, even if I learned how to use it for like, you know, my English 11 classes. And it is as, it is as academic as you could possibly get. And it, it creates supreme weirdness. It's the greatest tool that I've ever used because after a while you run out of ideas and the, you see that with your favorite authors sometimes, you know, they just keep on kind of rehashing the same stuff over and over again. And, and sure. then you're like, oh, you're, you're the author who writes about these things and these things. So the morphological matrix is a, is a very simple idea. You have four criterion, right? A character with a quirk in a place with an obstacle. And then you set up a little 10 by 10 grid and at random fill in all the boxes. I, I'm going to with what ne- the next time you I'm going to tell you the next ne- next time you talk, I'm going to get an example of this up on my computer. I forgot to get it up so I can read some of them. You know, your character could be a cop or an elementary school kid or a housewife fill in name of character, whatever it is that you want. It can be genre specific. Although what I tell my students is if you're a horror writer, try to choose characters that you don't often find in horror. If you write rom-com Try to write character. Try to come up with characters that are not normally in rom coms. You know, don't don't right. come up with a a mid twenties female magazine editor in New York. Right. <laughs> that's that's you know. Instead, have it be a fifty five year old divorcee from Fredericksburg, whatever. So, and 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 I tell them too. I was like, don't fill all the characters in at first. Like, fill a character in, then go to an obstacle that's like three lines down. And then go up to a quirk and, you know, just kind of go all over the place just so that you're not purposely going across left to right all the time. So, you know, the quirk might be has a piece of popcorn between their teeth or it could be a broken hip. It could be some sort of medical diagnosis. You know, it could, you know, and people are like, oh, you, 
how dare you call a mental illness a quirk? It's like, it does, it's, it's not meant to denigrate whatever that's going on. It's just got to be some sort of personal thing that they, that they own. Then, you know, the goal, the, the only things that you really make genre specific sometimes are the goals and the obstacles. So for horror, the goal might be to uh, survive the apocalypse or, you know, defeat the mold, you know, kill the slasher, whatever it is that you put in there. Although it is a lot of fun to put non-genre specific goals into that genre just to have fun with it. And then same right. with the obstacle, despite the massive mother brain, despite the carnivorous chair, whatever it is that's going to get in their way. After they fill it, and it, it, for my students, it takes them a full hour to get these filled in, and not just because they're distracted and talking to each other, because that alone is taking up a lot of creativity, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of, a lot of memory, right? They're using all their RAM. They got to go to their utilities, yeah. right? And then the last thing is to make three random connections between all four and two purposeful ones. And by random, what I mean is you literally put your, fit, your pen down on some character, and then you make random connections, like a random line up to a quirk, a random line down to a goal, and a random line to an obstacle. And you make... I, I like the premise of this, but I'm so spatially disoriented right now because we have four different... Because I don't know what goes in... You got a 10 by 10 grid. What goes in each square? I guess it's a 10 by 4. Sorry, 10 by 4 grid. Oh, and so you just... For each line of the 10 by four grid is a row with four cells. And in those four uh-huh. cells, you put a character that's in a place with a quirk, a goal, and an obstacle. Character, quirk, goal, obstacle. And then you move to the next line and you do another character, quirk, goal, obstacle. Sorry, sorry. Not, not to confuse anybody. It's character with a quirk, place, goal, obstacle. So... It, so to, to, if you were looking at the top line, right? Top row. Yep. Yep. It would be a middle-aged detective with a broken hip in a hospital, has to f- defeat the mother brain despite zombie clowns. Gotcha. That was actually a story I wrote. Uh, and it was given to me by the idea is, is, is partially due to Brandon Gold. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that later. And I came up with that combination, not because it was you know, written out that way, character with a, with a quirk in a place with a goal and an obstacle, but they were all over the place. So, you know, the cop with the broken hip was like third down, third row down. The, the hospital was in the first row at the top. The mother brain was all the way at the bottom in 10. And then zombie I clowns see. was like three. I uh, see. So you wind up with this grid of a whole bunch of different characters and places with quirks and obstacles and goals. Yeah. And then you can disparately select a character from one row and join it with a place from another row and, and, yes. and so on and so forth. I like that. So essentially you're going to wind up with this grid of different, it's kind of like you've created a salad bar and you can mix and match, you know, you'd think that the spinach and the black olives and the feta and red onions are going to go together because that's, you know, that's a harmonious mm-hmm. salad, but you might just pick, you know, your spinach to go with the baby corn to go with the rye croutons yeah. and the thousand Island. But you know, it's like, that sounds gross, but you actually come up with something creative and fun. And it's just a way to, a great way to find your way into a story. Oh my God. It, it, it creates. And again, and you know, Young writer me would have scoffed at this. Oh, what are you talking about? That's that's not creative. Oh my God, is it creative? It it puts together elements that you would never ever think to put together. 
and it allows you to really go outside your comfort zone. And, and that's the, the one I use as an example. I wrote my one of my favorite short stories. It's called Pop. And I, I wish I could, you know, I wish letters could actually have sounds because I only wanted, I didn't really want the word pop to be in there. I wanted it to be, you know, I didn't make that not enough on. <laughs> I wanted that to be the, the the title of the story. And it's, yeah. Oh, wait, no, that's a dripping ceiling. Anyways, <laughs> and I, I I remember I put that together. So, it, you know, I used to have, I have that service still. I, I really haven't done it much lately when I was going to co- conventions where I would write stories for people and include their details in the stories. And so this, one of my clients, his name was Brandon. He filled out like three of the things, you know, three rows for the morphological matrix for the story he hired me to write. And they had those elements. Mm -hmm. And and I thought, ah, a a detective with a broken hip in a hospital has to defeat the mother brain. What the fuck? I've never written a mother brain story before. And then I saw the zombie clowns. I don't even know what a mother brain is and I'm on board. Yeah. And zombie clowns, I was like, God damn it. You know, I I just, and the first thing I thought when I looked at that was, this is, oh my God, this is going to be the worst. And then I found my way in and it was one of the more exciting stories to write because sometimes, you know, and I'll tell you about the next thing about in terms of, of, or maybe we can wait for structure because the the structure really is a Yeah, this this episode is about getting into the story. Getting into the story after I, I, I did put it into a structure. And one of my favorite parts of the short story is as, and this is not ruining the short story at all, but you know, it's set in Fredericksburg and the, the, the cop and the guy, his, his helper. Cause you know, you always got to have a helper. Anyways, they're, they're driving this propane truck into the heart of Fredericksburg where the mother brain has taken over. The mother brain is a thing that's, that's shooting out all these zombie clowns that has taken over the world. And one by one, like a zombie clown, they, they, they're jumping on the truck, trying to stop them. And then for some reason I decided to be silly and stupid here. And like, you know, a mime clown pops up and like has an imaginary club that he's trying to club the windshield with. And, you know, the main characters look at each other and when one gets up, just grabs a zombie clown by the leg and throws him off. And another point, a Hemingway clown pops up is, and, and like looks at him and starts reciting something, I think, from the short, happy life of Francis McComber or the old man in the sea. And the main character yeah. blows his head off and just like, you know, there's just, you know, it's a gag. It's a running gag. There's, there's two or three instances like that. And it was in that, right. When I was writing those lines in the middle of the drafting of it, I was like, this is so fun. It, like you said, <laughs> I can't wait for someone to read this. I can't wait for Brandon to read this. I'm having a good time writing this story. And the most, I, I guess, poignant part of that story. And, and this kind of brings home like why this is sparkable is that is a really ridiculous setting and, and setup for a story, a, a, a cop with a broken hip, zombie clowns, mother brain, all that stuff is I managed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, again, not pointing, patting myself. I'm like, I was surprised when this happened, but you know, he's older and his wife died, the main character. And, uh, he, uh, he really misses his wife and the zombie, I'm sorry, the, the, the mother brain is able to kind of read that because it's the mother brain and he has a choice at the end. You know, he can either join the mother brain and become a zombie clown and take over another world. And he does that. The, the mother brain does it by kind of manipulating his, his subconscious and, and like, Hey, look, your family's here. All of your friends are here. Your wife is here. And he has a choice to make. And, and he, he, I, you know, I won't tell you what the choice is. I won't tell you what the choice that he makes is nice little surprise ending. And so yeah. I thought, huh, that was, that would never would have come about unless that morphological matrix was there. I, I decided mm-hmm. to add that little twist there because I thought this is too ridiculous. Like, you know, let's give the main detective character, at least some humanity, something people could like other than blowing up zombie clowns. 
And so I wanted sure. to put that 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 human element in there. And that's all from from you know a line in a morphological matrix. I like it. It was fun. I think that's a good tool. I mean, I think that's a a, a good uh, you know a good uh, a good hack like prompts, but mm-hmm. kind of like prompts on steroids for uh, for finding your way. And it'd be interesting to do one where you know, in different genres too, like a, a comedy morphological mm-hmm. matrix, a drama, you know, it's like, I write a lot of drama. It'd be interesting. Like what, what kinds of things you drop in there? Yeah. I think, I think the the main takeaway is some of these things are tools for once you get going, but I think the single most important thing is, is a decision and a commitment to, to moving forward. I, you know, and, and like, maybe it's even a fallacy the idea of like starting a story, like that's, that that's a second or third step consideration. Like first mm-hmm. you have to sort of make the commitment and the decision to, to be a person who co- writes stories, right. you know, it's yeah. like if, unless you've decided to, that I'm, that I'm going to be a writer of some sort. And I, I love the adage that like a writer is just someone who wrote today. And it's like, that's such a nice feeling because, (laughs) you know, you sit down and you do the work and it's like, you don't, you know, you don't broadcast to people. There's nothing worse than some blowhard at the party. What do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a writer. And it's like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, well, I just write every morning. No, it's just like how you situate in, in the, in the truth that you're fulfilling your commitment to yourself. You know, if you work at a convenience store, if you're at that party and someone says, what do you do? I work at a convenience store. That's mm-hmm. the right answer. Not I'm a writer. You're going to be a blowhard. But yeah, so I, I think I think that commitment and the and the decision. Then you build some structure around it with with parameters and goals and things of that nature. You figure out the time of the day. You figure out okay, are you screenwriting or whatever else? And you set a reasonable parameter. Mm-hmm. And then when you really get into the weeds, then you pull out your morphological matrix and and. You know, that's a great way to jettison you into, into some structure about what am I going to do with my thousand words today? Well, today I'm actually going to start that story because I have this idea file or I've got my matrix filled out or whatever it is, whatever it takes for you to jump into, you know, committing to a specific output, a story, a song, whatever. It's a part of the decision is using those tools to get started. Yeah. So we're ending this with tools, websites. Two indispensable resources. Two indispensable resources. Are you going to give me one and I'm going to give you one? How do you you want to work this one out? It's funny because that was the next question that we had you given me the floor. It was the same thing. Let me get closer to the mic. Oh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I have have a couple. I have a couple that spring from our conversation today. First one is one that I, I recently adopted and I just, I think it's terrific. And there's a lot of writers and creatives who have implemented this of some sort, but it's to have a dedicated calendar of some sort. It could be in your journal. It could be a dedicated item that you buy from a, a local re- or online retailer, but where you can mark down, you can put the X on the day that you fulfilled your goal. And I, it's just really satisfying to, it feels weird at first because you've got one X in a weekly calendar or a monthly calendar, <laughs> however you do it. And it's like, uh, but then once you get to, you know, six weeks of consistent Xs at, at having done your 15 minutes or your 30 minutes or your thousand words, 
it's really satisfying and it motivates you. It's like, I'm doing Duolingo Spanish right now on day like 74 or something. It's like, I am doing, I am not going to break that streak. You know, it's like the streak is powerful. So I really would, if some, if you're going to invest your personal time and dedication to the discipline, give yourself the little mini trophy of that desk calendar where you X off your days. I think it's really awesome. And in fact, I just purchased a new one because I started doing it in my journal, but I'm like, I want a dedicated thing. And it's called like the brilliant weekly calendar or something. And it's this odd shaped, slim, little, little blank weekly calendar that has just enough space that you can write in the stuff that you did that day, but not so much that you're like got a half a page per day. And it's like, there's a bunch of wasted space. It's really cool. I think it's called the brilliant weekly calendar. You can put a link in the show notes. Yes. Mine, since that's similar, since we're talking about sparks, that's similar to mine. I, I just have a to-do list. I have morning, afternoon, evening with, and it's something that I set up in a, a Word doc. <laughs> it's it's literally that primitive. Sexy. Yeah, but I, I use it. It's the same thing as making checks off. But so my one that's different is a dedicated, creative notebook of some sort. It, if you're Keith Davies, and I, I'm going to tell him that I mentioned him in this, in this podcast, he'll love it. He'll love it. You, you will write your song lyrics on cocktail napkins because that's what he used to show up to minus men practice with just <laughs> cocktail napkins, scrawled drunken lyrics and, and chord progressions. What I tell my students, though, is after they have gone to the bars and, and, and drank and written down on cocktail napkins, they should get I got mine at Borders and then it turned to Barnes and Noble. And it's just a, a you know, refillable journal that you can put in this. I guess a, a sheath or a, a skin or whatever you want to call it. It's this, this trapper faux, keeper. Yeah. Almost. It's a, it's a faux leather tree of life with like fake gold inlay on it. And you can just take the old uh, notebook out and put the new notebook in because you can't always have your computer everywhere. And even though I do a majority of my drafting now on computers, every now and then I will handwrite either a full short story or the beginning of a short story as a way of, Launching into one. And in terms of sparks, when you slow down the process, when you have the ability with something like no, like a notebook to scratch things out, to draw lines, to skip over a few pages, to do like, you know, if I have to insert something, I do a star and put a number by it. And then on the next page, I, I do the same thing, the star and number. And I know to insert that particular thing. There's just something about that manipulative physical object that yeah. is also a part of the romance of writing. And I'm not going to discard that. You know, I, I feel like I got all that football coach practicality from my dad and it it's awesome because basically that says it, all that says is shut up and produce, you know, get, which yeah. is what my dad used to say. He, he still yells that at the, at the TV screen. <laughs> I have to believe that it, a different part of your brain is engaged when you're, you know, doing ink and paper than when you're clacking, computer keys, which I do both, but there's something a little bit more meditative about writing longhand. It it, it just is. And, and because it forces you to slow down and, and really consider what's going on, you can pause and meditate. And I've drawn pictures, you know, like Kurt Vonnegut, you know, not boobies, but you know, he, he loves drawing boobies in his. Yeah. In but souls. like it maps, if I'm writing fantasy to figure out, okay, wait, where are these characters in relevance to each other? And Again, yeah. my coworkers laugh at me like that. You're going too far. I'm like, shut up. and just trying to figure out like where, where these people are in physical space. 
Uh, and you can't do that on the computer. So, uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the skin or what I can't, you know, it's a sheath. I'll, I'll, I'll take a picture of my current one. I need to, to, to yeah. replace it anyways. I got a sheath for you, pal. Uh, oh, oh, I carry it with me wherever I go. It's in my backpack. I don't always use it, but it's there if I need it. It's comforting. It's only for creativity. That, that's the other thing. I'm not allowed to take professional development notes on it. That, that's, that's sullying the waters, right? Yeah. Uh, you're not allowed to put common stuff in there. This is for creativity only. So that's where I get like romantic about the writing aspect of it, which is like, no, you're, you're not allowed to touch that. It's like walking around with a sword on your, you know, strapped to your uh, scabbard, strapped to your side. You, you don't ho- you hope, you know, you might not use it every day. You should, hopefully using it here and there, but it is a reminder that you are, you know, a warrior, you've got your sword, except it's, it's a, a leather bound notebook in your backpack. And just having it there is the essence of being a creative, but you, you, you do have to use it. Thank you everybody for tuning in this week. Don't forget to check out season one of the hive for only 99 cents and visit the Silverhammer Studios website at silverhammer.studio. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-H-A-M-M-E-R.studio. See you next week for episode two of Story Bones, Story Structure. <laughs>